Hey, spooky loving frenzies. I think there might be a few of you out there. Thanks for coming back. This is The Spooktacular Now, a podcast for spooky loving freaks brought to you by some spooky loving freaks. I'm Nicole here with Kenzie and Denise, talking all about things paranormal, unexplained, extraterrestrial, and mixed with the occasional historical true crime. How are you guys? Hey, we're doing good. Yeah. Living the dream. I just have to give a shout out to the weather because here in Northern Ohio, we've had two days of amazing thunderstorms, which I absolutely love. And it makes it feel like spooky season is really upon us. <laughs> it does. It's been so hot though, but it's going to be like in the sixties for the next week or so. Oh, very fallish. Yes. Finally. And tomorrow is the first day of fall. So it's oh, very official. Fitting. Yeah. <gasps> it's officially official. Yay. <laughs> so. Speaking um, about all things spooky, today we are going to be kicking off a monthly series called Lady Killers, where we will be featuring several femme fatales from history. Our true crime episodes will feature mostly historical true crime, meaning that most of the individuals associated with the events, such as family members and friends, are no longer living. So, interesting enough that what got this started is I read something online recently it was just like a short blurb about a female serial killer nicknamed arsenic Anna and I had never heard of her before have you guys heard of arsenic no. Anna no so I was like really intrigued because not only was she a woman but because she's from Cincinnati Ohio wow. and we're in the Buckeye State so hey what's up our friends to the south I immediately wanted to know more about her, so I started Googling Arsenic Anna and came across an amazing book called Lady Killers, Deadly Women Throughout History by Tori Telfer, which is so perfect for our series about lady serial killers. I highly recommend the book. Very entertaining and um, in-depth, so yeah, read it. It's good. So without further ado, here is a look into the psychopath that is Anna Marie Hahn, Arsenic Anna, also known as Iceberg Anna, I guess, oh. depending upon who you ask or what you read. Did she sink the Titanic? Yeah, you know what? Maybe. <laughs> she would have if she had the opportunity. Once you yeah. get to know her a little bit, if she had been given that opportunity, she wouldn't have hesitated. So so though her name is Anna, one of her nicknames was Arsenic Annie? N no. Oh. Arsenic Anna. Uh, I think that was a typo. Well, no, I always thought it was Arsenic Annie, actually. Yeah. yeah. So, um, also, a little disclaimer for any of our lovely German listeners, if there happen to be any of you out there. <laughs> I will try to pronounce these names, but I may botch it, and I mean no, no disrespect. So, here we go. Anna Marie Hahn, born Filser was born on July 7th, 1906, in the picturesque Bavarian town of Fusen, Germany. Did I say that? Oh. Kenzie's giving me a nod. I know, and I just want to add, I have been there. No. I have. I have. A long time ago. How cool. Yeah. No way. When we took that trip to Germany. Is uh, it like the hills are alive with the sound of music? We're walking down the street and of Fusen, 
And my sister said, turn around. And we looked, and there were the Alps behind Aww. us. We were walking the opposite way, not even looking at the Alps. <laughs> How beautiful. Yeah, I'm pretty oh, sure that was Fusen. I'd love to go there. Yeah, it's beautiful, beautiful country. I wonder if it's, like, called Fusen because it's at, like, the foot of the Alps. And foot in German is Fuss. You took German there. in high school, yeah. didn't you? Two years. Oh, See, I knew it would pay off eventually. You're practically <laughs> an expert. Yes. <laughs> All right. Oh, how interesting. Okay. And a floor is Fußboden. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that is, I'll bet you that's how it got its name. Yeah. Oh, we're learning something. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Anna, and I'm, I bet they said Anna. Mm-hmm. So her father, George Filser, was a furniture maker slash manufacturer. I think he was on a bigger scale than just like whittling wood in his back room. Anyway, the family was pretty well off, well respected in the area, and very religious. She was the youngest of 12 children. Damn! Right? (laughs) Five passed away by the time Anna was born. And you know, that's why you had 12 (laughs) back then. (laughs) You didn't know how many were going to survive. They did, sadly. A lot of them Gotta make sure at least one of them makes it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So five had died by the time she was born, and evidently she was very spoiled and lavished upon, and even her mother, Katie, told people that Anna, Anna slash Anna, I'm just going to say Anna, because that's just, you know. We're too American. Right. Okay. So Anna was her favorite. And I didn't read a whole lot about her childhood, what her behavior was like. I'm sure somewhere out there there's information about her behavior and I would really like to know, after, you know, you hear what she did and what she was capable of, I would love to know if there were any hints or signs as a child of what her future was going to be yeah. like. There had to be something there. Right. I mean, what I read sounded like her parents were, you know, religious, strict, but loving, and she had everything she needed, but something wasn't right. Mm-hmm. Okay. When Anna was 19, she met the dashing Dr. Max Metchecki a famous physician from Vienna who had been working on a cure for cancer. So he's like the ultimate catch. (laughs) Apparently he was not only brilliant, but a hottie swept Anna off her feet and she fell hard for Dr. Max. He told her that he would marry her and whispered sweet nothings into her ear. So you know what happened next his wily charms worked on Anna, and she did the deed with Doc Matchecki. And, of course, she got pregnant. The doctor then withdrew his marriage proposal and admitted having a wife in Vienna. Oh. Right. Harsh. So, dog. understandably, she was crushed by this and reportedly said that it was just like a mountain falling on me, not killing me, but just smothering and crushing me. <laughs> But guess what? There was no Dr. Max Matchecki. She made him up. No record of this doctor has what? ever been... Right? <laughs> she, what? Yeah, she invented this huge fairy tale. And I don't know if this was a delusion or she was just trying to make this sound like way better than it was. He didn't even exist. She made him up. No record of this doctor has ever been found. The father of her child was just some Joe Schmo from the area whose identity remains a mystery. And her very conservative family was mortified. 
and to avoid the shame and ridicule, her parents wanted to send her off to America to stay with relatives while her parents raised her son Oscar as their own. So it took her two years to get a visa, though. So by the time she was able to leave, her son was a toddler. She wanted to establish herself in America and retrieve him later when she could support him. So she did want to get him back. So that, you know, that seems positive. So she's... what. Apart from the whole making up the father of her child story, right. so far she seems like, you know, a caring yeah. mother. Right. She wants to, mm-hmm. you know, as you said, like establish herself, earn some money, take care of things, and take care of her son. Yeah. But, we'll but give her the you know, there's the yeah, something, something a little, little mm-hmm. off about her. Something mm-hmm. not right. <laughs> something. I mean, that was quite an elaborate story. Yeah. So, she heads off to Cincinnati. Her uncle, Max Doschel from Cincy, agreed to fund her trip to America and allowed her to live with him and his family. And she arrived in February of 1929 at the age of 22. And by the time she's there, she's already fluent in English. She became sick, like, almost immediately because she's around a bunch of strains of bacteria, perhaps she wasn't used to. She became sick with scarlet fever early on after her arrival, and it took her several weeks to recover. By April, though, she was feeling fine, and she was feisty. She was single and ready to mingle. (laughs) She found a job working in a hotel, and as soon as she started making some fat cash, she was living large like a baller. (laughs) I mean, she was spending extravagantly and was able to take care of her own financial needs, And her uncle was like, you know, what about the money that I gave you? You really owe me that. You should be paying me back. So they were kind of like really put off by how she was living after she was making this money. And she started telling all of these like crazy lies about her extravagant life that wasn't real. She told people she was building her own house, which was not true. She had this whole like invented persona. And uh, she wanted people to see her as the type of person that could afford to build her own house. So was she actually living large or? I think what she was most likely doing was telling a lot of lies Hmm. and spending her money as soon as she would get it. Uh, Like probably buying a lot of stuff. Yeah. Trying to look a certain way. Telling people a bunch of stories, which she gets pretty good at. So, And I wonder what she was doing in the hotel. What was her job? Oh, hmm. I don't know. Where would you get extra money in a hotel? Right. Was she stealing it? Stealing items from I would the wealthy patrons? I don't know. I don't know this for a fact, but <laughs> well. Well, one can speculate. Yes, yes. So I don't know. If you know what her job was, let us know. So while working at this hotel, she met the mild-mannered fellow German immigrant Philip Hahn. He was nice to her. He told her he loved her and asked her to marry him. He was also really cool with the fact that she had a child out of wedlock back in Germany, and he even agreed to act as Oscar's father. She agreed to marry him the following year, and in July 1930, she returned to Bavaria to retrieve her son. So she brings him to meet her Uncle Max and his family in Cincinnati, and they were like, what? You never mentioned you had a son before. They were so disturbed by her behavior, her antics, spending, and now springing this 
child on them, they decided to sever the relationship and wanted nothing more to do with her. So now she's away from her family in Germany and she doesn't have any family around her in Cincinnati. And around this time, Anna's money obsession was in full swing and she had developed a pretty bad gambling habit. She loved to bet on horse races and even started writing bad checks to cover her gambling debts. So we're starting to see more than just lies uh, and some spending. We're seeing a gambling problem. She's got some impulsiveness. She's got a gambling addiction. And now she is dabbling in some criminal activity by writing bad checks. So things are not looking good. (laughs) She even, this is amazing. She even opened a restaurant with her husband and then tried to burn it down for the insurance money. <laughs> no, no surprise. Yeah. No, no surprise. There. No. And I also read, but I don't know if I included this when I was um, doing my research, but she apparently also tried to burn their house down for insurance money. So, you know. Oh, my gosh. Well, it didn't work with the house. Right. So I think I'll do the restaurant right. instead. <laughs> that will really get them. She didn't branch out a whole lot. No. So, um, interestingly, she was exhibiting some very significant disordered behavior and is showing signs of a personality disorder called antisocial personality disorder. But as we will hear, she's about to blossom into a full-blown psychopath. And we will go down that rabbit hole of forensic psychiatry in a future episode because as a psychiatric provider, I can't not talk about it. And it is very fascinating. Nerd. Right. (laughs) Brain nerd. But moving on. So, by uh, antisocial personality disorder, she's very impulsive. Probably did not show a lot of remorse for her actions. No, because she kept doing things. Frequently at the cost of the safety or well-being of others. She often participated in criminal activity. The impulsive spending, writing bag checks to cover gambling debts. Trying to burn down her own restaurant to commit insurance fraud. She was obsessed with money and this image of wealth. So she wanted an even more extravagant lifestyle in America. So, yeah, there's definitely a diagnosis there. Anyway, before too long, the gambling and arson lust were not enough to satisfy her greed. She had bigger fish to fry, and by fish I mean people. (laughs) She was a predator. I mean, like, in every sense of the word, because her prey, sadly were the weak and helpless. And not just any weak or helpless person. She really focused on elderly gentlemen. Her, I mean, elderly back then, 62. That's not the same today. No, 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 no. no. Her first victim was 62-year-old Ernest Kohler. Interestingly, depending on what I read, I found his last name as Koch as well, K-O-C-H. Um, the book that I'm reading says Kohler and I feel like the writer did her due diligence with the research. So we'll go with Kohler. He was her landlord and, uh, Anna and her family rented rooms from him in this big, beautiful house that he owned. Another room at the time was rented to a physician who was really bad at locking his office after hours. And she would break in and forge prescriptions for narcotic painkillers. So now she has a... Uh, addiction to pills too so maybe she was selling them i don't know she's she, got side hustle after side she hustle sure does after side <laughs> hustle. I mean, she's got it she wanted to make that green <laughs> so 
Around this time, she began flirting shamelessly with Kohler. And he, of course, took a liking to her because she was pretty blonde, very feminine and angelic. And um, when she wanted something from people, she had this way of really turning on the charm. So he liked her so much that he apparently included her in his will. And on May 6th, 1933, Kohler dies suddenly. He left her this massive house and his car and $1,167 in his savings account, which in today's money is about $27,000. And she also got a buttload of antiques that the house was filled with all these antiques. So she hit the jackpot. And at this time, I think she was thinking, you know, I don't know what she was thinking, but she was probably like, this was way too easy. So... After he died, the coroner's office apparently received several anonymous. So the coroner received several anonymous phone calls reporting that Kohler had died of poisoning. But Anna was rather convincing and told them no. He died of esophageal cancer. And the coroner bought it. What? This random lady was able to convince a medical doctor. Well, I don't know if he was a medical doctor because coroner is an elected official and they don't, depending on where you are, I think it might be state by state. They don't technically have to be a medical Uh, doctor. uh, That's kind of I don't know. So a lot of them do use coroners, but a lot of, you know, these uh, autopsy places, no, <laughs> mortuaries, no. No. Um, like the county coroner, whatever. Yeah, yeah. They use actual medical directors, which are oh. which are doctors. But um, they did. There wasn't a lot of information about this particular coroner. He could have been a doctor. You know, back then they just yeah. didn't do things as is no. you know the way like, you do them uh, now. She says this happened. Yeah, sounds I'll, right. I'll believe my, her. My job's done for today. I'm yeah, gonna, I'm she turned her charms he on was, him. He was sixty-two, yeah. right? <laughs> Which was ancient, yeah. apparently. Yeah, that sounds about right. And then he was cremated. So nothing, right? Uh, so nothing could have be no exhumation so could have happened, right? So. Her sick plan worked. She officially had her modus operandi, her MO. I love saying that. So she she has this plan all figured out, and she decides she's going to target mostly older, retired, lonely German immigrants, men. They have lots of liquidity at this point in their lives, and she knows it. She'd like to bond with them over their shared heritage, and she was a massive flirt, and she would cook for them, help them around the house, provide nursing care, and was, again, a flirt. So, the men ate it right up. They were just all about her schnitzel. <laughs> Sometimes. Oh, God, I wish you that. <laughs> She's been waiting all day to say that. So sometimes she would even get physical with them and allow kissing. (laughs) Some of these men fell hard and wanted to marry her, and you can't blame these men. This young, attractive woman comes into their lives, and it's like they have this new lease on life, and it's really sad the way she took advantage of them. So her next victim, well, let me say near victim, 
he got lucky. 63-year-old George E. Heiss was a coal dealer and owned the Consolidated Coal Company in the Cincinnati area. He referred to her as my girl. He loved her Bavarian pancakes. She lied to him and told him she was divorcing her husband. Not true. And Heiss expressed wanting to marry her. Oh, yeah. By the way, Phil, her husband, he's just kind of in the background now. They're still married, but she does whatever she wants, whenever she wants. And he's just like, okay. And, uh, yeah. So he's still hanging in there. And but still she's, alive. Yeah, still, right? Still, still alive. alive. She's <laughs> got to keep up appearances. Yeah. And, um, well, he's probably like, oh, she's making this good money. She's really good at whatever doing whatever she does, she does in a hotel. And, yeah. she has, and she has so many German men friends. Right. Yeah. yeah. Very friendly. Exactly. She's he, just he being nice. Yeah, right. Sure. She's taking care of these older gentlemen. What a nice gal. <laughs> so, poor Phil, no longer an important figure in her life. He took a major backseat. He did, I read, hate these relationships that she had with all of these men, but she was like, yeah, go after yourself. Apparently she was pretty dominant in their relationship. She grew tired of his protests. So one day she tried to poison him. Speaking of why didn't she kill him? She did try to poison him, but didn't give him enough. And he just became very ill. He did suspect that she had done this to his dinner, but he stayed. Wow. He's <laughs> down bad. for this. <laughs> right. He really has some pretty low self-esteem. He's yeah. like, this is as good as I can get. I mean, when you think about the type of men she was going after for their money, yeah, probably made the ideal partner for her to find a similar guy. Right, right. So he's like, yeah, she tried to kill me, yeah. but I don't think I can do I, much better. She, she, she's so cute, <laughs> I, you know. I'm just going to stick with it. Good her. thing she's cute. Right. Uh, so anyway, Heiss, this coal, coal magnate, he would give Anna money when she asked for it at first. It was a few bucks here and there, but then she started asking for thousands, which alerted the company's accountant, understandably. He was like, why are you writing these checks? This to Who is this lady? So he starts asking questions and asking Anna to repay the loans that Heiss was getting for her. And the, the accountant was getting irritated that she kept asking Heiss for larger and larger sums of money. Well, Heiss and the accountant talked about this and he really was no fool because he started to realize that every time she was cooking some fantastic German feast for him, he always felt sick after. So he's like, huh, Hmm. something is not adding up. So when one day he confronted her about this, about, you know, you need to pay me back now. He kind of gave her an ultimatum and she ended up leaving. So he was one of the lucky ones and he eventually said, you know, we're done. You got to go. So he survived. Wow. Not without some medical complications, but however. He didn't think to tell anybody else about her, like watch out for this girl. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. Mm. So next... Anna met 72-year-old Albert Palmer in 1936. They both loved going to the horse races and gambling, so it was pretty much a match made in hell. (laughs) She got him to give her money to $2,000 to be exact, and she used the money to pay Heist back to get him off her case. Right. So 
Eventually, Palmer grew tired of her shenanigans and asked her to pay back the money. So she was borrowing money from him, too. You can guess what happened next. She started serving him up some of her shady schnitzel, and that made him feel like shit. (laughs) You like that alliteration? Shady schnitzel made her... She sells shady schnitzel. <laughs> she, she sells. She, I can't even say. She sells shady schnitzel down by the she she Oh, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> anyway, poor Palmer. She never did have to pay the money back because he died of a heart attack. On March 26th of 1937. And then there was the unfortunate Mr. Jacob Wagner, whom Anna found by showing up at some random apartment building and asking one of the tenants if any old men lived there. So I read in this book that she would just go up to people and be like, hey, do you know any old men? I mean, like, totally, she was pretty sloppy. I mean, she was not, like, the most yeah. sophisticated of criminals. No. So she would just, went up to this random apartment building, sees the lady, are there any old guys there? And apparently <laughs> she was like, uh, yeah, apartment 3C. <laughs> so the woman referred her to this poor guy, Jacob Wagner, and she arranged a meeting by slipping him her digits under the door. Um, just kidding. I don't know what was on the note. <laughs> or did people even have phone numbers then? Did in no. the 30s? Oh, yeah. 30s. Yeah. But weren't they weird, like, playground G46 or something? <laughs> <laughs> they were just, like, one number. Yeah. <laughs> Hard party line. Yeah. <laughs> they were so weird. Anyway, they did, uh, they did meet up, and it was the same old routine, home-cooked German meals and flirtation, and before too long, Wagner ended up in the hospital sick as a dog. He died, and wouldn't you know it, a handwritten will was found at Wagner's apartment, leaving all of his money to Anna. And of course, it had to have been written by Anna, right? She was shrewd, cold, and calculating. No score was too small, and she had no empathy whatsoever for her victims, obviously. So at this time, Anna was trying to seduce several men at once. I mean, she's like really juggling several men here and i imagine it got pretty tough trying to keep them all straight but women as it turns out were not safe either because anna befriended an elderly widow by dressing up in a fake nurse's uniform sick and offered to help her at home she stole a bunch of valuable items from the widow's home sold them to buy this fur coat and she then offered to find the thief for the woman for the bargain price of $80. Oh my gosh. The woman paid her and Anna eventually poisoned the woman's ice cream all for a coat and $80. Dang. So again, she's no so score sick. was too small. Whoa. I mean, it was just like a game. It was like a sport. Yeah. yeah like Ugh. how many people could yeah. she get like, away with killing? Right. Like a challenge for her. Yeah. Which I mean, really is like she was getting some pleasure from it, which makes her, you know, like more like a serial killer, not just your, not just your regular old criminal. It was like not she just enjoyed a regular it. Killer, a serial killer. And you know what else I was thinking when I was reading about her, the way she chose to kill people was torturous. 
she was choosing to poison them. And a lot of times they didn't die right away. She was using arsenic, which is not like cyanide. Oh. Cyanide is like, you know, instant death. Yeah, they had to really suffer. Right. And oh. some of them didn't even die. This went on for like, she dated them for weeks at a time. Yeah. So they were sick. And then she was caring for, ugh. ugh. That is so creepy. Yeah. That is very, very psychotic. Messed up. Not psychotic. Psychopathic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She liked that they were suffering. Anyway, a few short weeks after poor Wagner's death, Anna met 67-year-old Hungarian immigrant George Gizalman. She told him she was a teacher and that she would marry him. And in the end, she only got about $100 out of him and Gizalman got a dinner laced with 18 grains of arsenic. I don't know how they know it was 18 I was reading that and like, how do they know if he ingested some of it? Did yeah. they count them all? Can you count them all? How big are arsenic grains? I just don't know. So apparently this was way more than was required to kill a person. So like a true psychopath, she did enjoy watching her victims suffer these agonizing drawn out deaths. During this time, she was also dating her final victim named Johann George Obendorfer a semi-retired cobbler, just like, oh, shoemaker. <laughs> he was a widower, too, and a grandfather to 11 grandchildren. Aww. Anna met him in his shoe shop one day, and poor Johan didn't stand a chance against this beast of a huntress. They dated for several weeks, and Obendorfer fell head over heels for her, and he wanted to get engaged. She convinced him to take a trip to Colorado to stay at her fictional cattle ranch with this massive house that she said she owned lies and if he liked it she thought wouldn't it be a good idea if we moved out there and we took oscar with us and he just loved this idea he loved this second chance at life starting over a beautiful young woman was in love with him and he was going to get to be a dad all over again so she thought yeah and he fell for it when he agreed to go, she was like, oh, shit, I got to get rid of this other guy. So she quickly kills Gazelman, and she plans this vacation. And the night before they left, she fed Obendorfer an arsenic-laced dinner that made him so sick he could barely walk the next day. But she's like, uh, we got to go on this trip, I guess. And she was probably like, why didn't you die? <laughs> so she's like, now I got to go on this fucking trip. <laughs> To this ranch that's not even real. So she apparently would carry the arsenic granules around in a salt shaker and in her handbag, which what? is like, how convenient. Would you like a little salt on your schnitzel? <laughs> yeah. So they rode the train from Cincy to Chicago. And when they arrived, she checked Obendorfer into a cheap motel. And she and her son Oscar stayed at a posh hotel. I know. Heartless. I think he would have been like, huh, that's weird. Right. But right. He, was, he was so too sick. sick. Yeah. He was so sick yeah. he couldn't even that's question true. it. She was just, just like, here's get the me bed. In bed. Yeah. yeah. Poor guy. Aww. And she really, ugh, she really puts this poor guy through it. Anyway, so once they made it to Denver, he was not any better. In fact, he was now worse, and she found him lying in his own feces and vomit and in an intense amount of pain. She then fed him more arsenic on a bowl of watermelon chunks. 
And you know what's really sick? Her son is there with her now. <gasps> Seeing this man so sick. It, yeah. Oh. I don't know if he knew what was going on, but he himself was probably a psychopath in the uh, in the making. So how old would her son be by now? She, 1937. Now. So this was 37. He was 12 around this time. Yeah. So, so he was observant. Yes. Right? An impressionable age. Impression. Yeah. Yeah. And there's the sick story. I'll get to that. Hang on. Okay. I digress. Okay. So she fed him these watermelon chunks, acting like she was trying to take care of him. But he was so sick, he kept puking up the, the chunks. He couldn't even keep them down. So while he's sick and dying this slow, torturous, agonizing death, she set about trying to steal his money. She attempted to get Obendorfer's money wire transferred to a Denver National Bank. And she's waiting around for a few days. It's not coming. It's not coming. So as I said before, Oscar is with her at this time, seeing all of what is going on. He sees this man curled up in a fetal position, surrounded by his own bodily fluids. And the room apparently was so disgusting that housekeeping refused to go in and clean it. And the hotel owner, which I think is weird, instead of calling the paramedics, which maybe they didn't do things like that back then, I don't know. He's urging her to take him to the hospital and just saying, instead of just saying, look, lady, I'm going to take this guy to the hospital, but I'm not going to blame him. He, he didn't have anything. He didn't know what was going on. He's urging her to take Obendorfer to the hospital. But instead, they packed him up. She packed him up puts them on a train, and they move on to Colorado Springs. Now, this is where something really disturbing happens on the train from Denver to Colorado Springs. Um, Oscar was apparently drawing. He liked to draw. And he drew pictures of, like, a skull or some, like, ghostly or ghastly image and showed it to him and started laughing, almost like he was saying, this is you. You know what I mean? And he apparently freaked out on the train and he started saying, witches, you're both witches. And people on the train were like, oh, he's just some lunatic. And they were like laughing. And this oh. poor, he had the worst end. I mean, it was just so drawn out and sad. And he's with these people who he thinks that we're going to take care of him. And they're just ugh, so sad. Anyway, so instead of taking him to the hospital, they move on to Colorado Springs. And once there... Anna and Oscar went sightseeing while they left Obendorfer sick in bed. Later, back at the hotel, Anna found the door to the hotel owner's rooms open, and she went in and stole two diamond rings that belonged to the hotel owner's wife. Big mistake. This is what eventually leads to her downfall. So finally, she's like, yeah, I can't deal with this guy anymore. She dumps him off at a hospital in Colorado, Colorado Springs where he eventually dies. And in the meantime, while he's there sick and dying, she and Oscar head back to Cincinnati by train. But what she didn't know was that things were already in the works back in Cincinnati. Uh, she's already suspected of Wagner's death. And now the owner of the rings has called authorities and they're looking for her. So things are going to start falling apart for her real quick. So in August of 1937, authorities had begun investigating the death of Jacob Wagner 
due to tips received from one of his friends reporting that a strange blonde woman had been hanging around his place during the weeks leading up to his death. At this time, the police were already looking into Anna for the suspected theft of the two diamond rings. They charged her with grand larceny, but she was not the savviest of criminals, and apparently the floodgates opened once she was confronted by police, and she spilled all of this incriminating evidence against herself. Wow. So, yeah. Uh, and the next day, she was charged with larceny and the murder of Jacob Wagner. But after her arrest, she just ate up all of the media attention, and she loved having her photo taken, and it is despicable. If you Google her name, there are tons of photographs of her posing for the media after she'd already been apprehended. I mean, she was just eating up this media attention. Apparently... It was not in the back of her mind that anything was going to happen, that she was actually going to be convicted. I don't think she really thought that it was going to ever be a possibility. So she was described during this time as icily calm all the time. Like she showed very little emotion. She didn't get upset about the fact that she had been arrested or that she was going to go to trial for her crimes. She was just like chill. So Anna's trial was set to begin in October of 1937, and the jury was made up of 11 women and one man. And I also read that she really got a lot of sympathy from the women in the courtroom and the jury because she really played up the whole, but I'm a mother, and her son would frequently be featured in the trial or in the courtroom, he'd visit her in jail and she'd like fawn over him and she's crafty. Yeah. Give him kisses. And like they're, they would describe the female jurors crying because you know, Oh, she's a mom. You know, how could she have done this? Yes. Yes. You couldn't have done it. No, she's diabolical. So this jury, again, like I said, made up of 11 women and one man. The jury was dubbed the petticoat jury. Gross. The prosecution was very confident that they would be able to get a conviction for Wagner's murder because after his body was exhumed and tested, he was shown to have double the lethal amount of arsenic needed to kill him. They also had the handwritten will that an expert would testify was a forgery. So she did write the will herself. Surprise, surprise. Arsenic had also been found in the bodies of Palmer. Gzalman Obendorfer, so things were looking pretty dire for Frau Hahn. Several witnesses for the prosecution came forward with damning statements about her behavior, character, lack of concern regarding death, and the handwriting expert proved that Anna had written Wagner's Will. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. You are speaking like a true German now. <laughs> <laughs> it's your mother tongue. <laughs> right? Yeah. After they dormant for so many years. <laughs> Can't get rid of that that DNA. Nope. <laughs> so Anna had written his will. <laughs> A toxicologist studied the lining of her handbag and found arsenic grains all over it. So, remember George Heiss way back? 
the beginning of our uh, episode here. He became known as the living witness as he caught on to Anna's ruse and he kicked her to the curb. So he's the one that survived and he became key to the prosecution's uh, uh, case. So he was in the courtroom, sickly looking, pale, sitting in a wheelchair because this, not a whole lot of time had gone by, less than a year that he'd been ingesting all this arsenic. So the guy is still pretty sick. He was in the courtroom pointing a finger at Anna and it really had a major effect on the jury's view of the whole situation. And um, it was not good. It was like, yeah, you're done for. So throughout the trial, Anna maintained her innocence and presented herself as emotionless and eerily cold. Even when the guilty verdict with mandatory death penalty was read aloud, Anna did not shed a single tear. And in December of 1937, she was moved to Columbus, Ohio, to the Ohio Penitentiary. They had to build her a special cell to separate her from the other inmates because she was the only female prisoner there on death row. Her defense lawyers got to work trying to get her life spared, and they took the case to the governor of Ohio and asked that her sentence be reduced to life in prison. Their pleas failed, and the death sentence was upheld. And they did things pretty quick back then because this was a year from the time she received her death sentence to the time she was executed. It was only a year, and that's unheard of today because of appeal after appeal. You know, well, people are on death row for years. Would it even have been that long? Because I think she was arrested in August of 1937. In December of 1937 was her trial. Oh, that, you're that, right. Yeah. It is a year. Sorry. Yeah. Up until the end, Anna believed she would be spared and only became hysterical when walking to the death chamber. She collapsed once she saw the chair and had to be carried over to it. And on December 7th, 1938, Anna Marie Hahn became the first woman executed in the state of Ohio via the electric chair. Um, and this chair, referred to as Old Sparky, gross, is currently on display at the Ohio State Reformatory in Mansfield, Ohio, which is world famous for its paranormal activity and the site of the filming of the excellent film Shawshank Redemption. So... If you are so inclined to go see Old Sparky and where Anna Marie Hahn was executed, it's on display and you can go check it out. Now, the book goes into great detail about what her final moments were like and how she was pleading for her life. And I just didn't want to really go that much into it because it was just, yeah, still not. Yeah, still sad. Still sad. For everybody involved. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that is it. That is Anna Marie Hahn, lady serial killer, total psychopath, no remorse, and she lived right here in the Buckeye State. So I thought, <laughs> awesome, awesome topic for our podcast. <laughs> she like she could be like the state serial killer. You know how we have like the state bird, the state <laughs> motto. Yes. Each state will have its own Serial killer. Serial killer. I bet I maybe there's enough. I bet there's enough to make that a thing. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And the symbol could be the salt shaker. <laughs> yes. I would love to know what happened to that salt shaker. I know. I'd like to know where did she get all that arsenic? Yeah. Good point. I mean, maybe they sold it at the hardware for rats or something. Dude, you could buy very bizarre things 
back in the day from a hardware store. Yeah. I mean, you used to be able to buy antibiotics, right? Like off the shelf, sulfa tablets. Yeah. Now you can't you can't buy that anymore. Yeah. But... And when you think about how far like forensic um, investigation has come, especially within like the last century, if she had been a lot smarter and more careful, she could have gotten away with these murders for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think she tried to do too much in a small amount of time. Right. Yes. You know, yeah. if she had spread it out, she might have gotten away with it. I don't think right. by today's standards she would have gotten as away with as no, much as she no. did. And as far as serial killers go, you know, the ones that don't get caught for years, she was pretty, pretty kind of not savvy. You know, she left too many crumbs <laughs> whatever too many too many grains of arsenic <laughs> too, too many grains <laughs> too many arsenic grains wagner's fifth <laughs> all right so um we will put up a series of pictures on our instagram if you want to see some pictures of anna han and uh what she was like during her trial and how she would pose for the camera we'll put some pictures up there uh, yeah, so that is Anna Marie Hahn. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And if you'd like to reach out to us, you can shoot us a message at spooktacularnowpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at spooktacularnow or on Instagram at the spooktacularnow. And don't forget to rate our podcast. If you leave a good one, we may feature it in a future episode. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.